stand. We're going to go to the reading of the word this morning. Reading from Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25 and verse 24. And when her days were to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother, came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. Why don't we pray and ask God to help us with his word this morning. Lord Jesus, we need you. We rely on you. We depend on you, Jesus. Pray for your spirit to move in our midst, that you would speak to us. Let your word go forth and impact our lives, change our hearts, give us fresh perspective, and renew our minds today. In Jesus' name, we turn to you, Lord. We lean on you, and we depend on you now for revelation and understanding. Let your spirit open our eyes and your word be like a light shining in our hearts and show us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. Um, names. Names are important. Uh, names are meaningful. Most of you have a name and probably can tell me what your name means. Um, when, when picking names for our children, Steph and I, uh, we, we tried to do two things. Number one, we wanted a name that we liked the sound of. Uh, two, name that did not remind us of a high school bully or person on our schoolyard back home that was just kind of odd or strange. Or, you know, we, we, we'd come up, I'd come up with a name and Steph goes, no, there was someone at my school named that and they were just, they were mean. So no, I, I can't name my child that it doesn't work and then on top of that we were working towards a, a meaning we wanted the name to have significance and and meaning and uh, not just be trendy or popular but something special we knew it wouldn't be unique because in all reality i mean unless you're going to fabricate a new name completely and some people do that uh you know uniqueness wasn't really our our goal but Picking the name of our child, our children, was very important to us. Uh, names have been important to societies and cultures all throughout history. That's no strange thing. And, and uh, recently I was able to be part of a naming ceremony for uh, um, Sayi and uh, Tiga Amu as they, they were naming their new baby boy. Uh, and uh, it, it, was, it was a fun experience because he had multiple names, some of them given by his grandparents, some of them given by his godparents, some of them given by adults and uncles, uh, just friends of the family. And so he has a long list of names, although he'll go by uh, Ara, which will be his, his given name by mom and dad. But it was just an interesting experience to see a different culture's approach to naming their children. Now, uh, the word name in the dictionary is, uh, it literally means a word or term by which a person or thing is known. In the Hebrew, the word for name is Shem. And this literally means a mark of individuality. It's a mark, a stamp, something that's etched into this individual. And for that reason, uh, the Jews had the practice at one time to, to wait for eight days before they would name their child. They would wait and observe closely the characteristics of that child. They would wait and see if he, if he, ended up, if he or she ended up resembling a certain member of the family that was honorable and they could name the child after that family member. They would wait for eight days and uh, it would be at their, their circumcision, if they were a boy or a bat mitzvah, I think, if, if they were a girl. And they would, they would have this special ceremony in which the name of that child, the Shem, was spoken over them. And it would mark them. It would identify them as a person. 
when you read the phrase in the scripture, his name was called or, or they called her name, you know that it was more than just going through the baby book of the day or the baby scroll, if you will, and, and picking out the most popular or you know pleasing name, the one that had the nice ring to it. It was something special. It was something significant. And it was something that marked them for the rest of their life. And, and uh, there's times in the Bible, for example, when uh, Eli, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, priests at the time, they were wretched boys and did not honor God at all despite their role as priests of the land. Often they would take, you know, people would bring sacrifices to the temple and Hophni and Phinehas would take the animal, and not even offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord, just take it into the back room and cut the, the animal up and serve it up to themselves. They would create a, a feast for themselves with the sacrifice of the people, dishonoring and disgracing the word of God and, and the, the people who came to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And these, these priests, corrupt in their ways, would offer it for themselves. Well, well, it so happens that God judged their sins and their wickedness and uh, they ended up losing a big battle in Israel and and Hophni and Phinehas were responsible for taking the Ark of the Covenant into the battle to try to gain favor with God like a, some, court of, some kind of good luck charm. Well, they end up losing the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines and the Bible says that when Eli heard the news, he fell back off of his chair and died. Hophni's wife was pregnant with her child. And upon hearing that both of her, her, her husband and his brother was killed in the battle, the Bible says she went into hard labor right away. The, the, the trauma of that and that the ark was gone, she went into labor and delivered a child and named the boy Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. How would you like to be known for the rest of your life by an event in history that so marked your mother, that she decided to call you, God's glory has left the building. The glory of God has departed. Ichabod. Names were important. They were significant. You see this all throughout the scripture. Abram, his first name was Abram, and then God later changed his name to Abraham. And, and even in this story, we see its significance. Genesis 25, verse 25 says, uh, the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. When Isaac and Rebekah had their twin boys, the first child came out and was completely covered with red hair. It was a unique marker, unique feature of this child. This was a, a unique thing, and so they named him Esau. Esau means red. <laughs> Appropriate. So they waited. They said, you know what? No, this, this name sticks. Esau. We'll name him Esau. And after, after that came his brother, and his hand reached out and took hold of Esau's heel, and they called his name Jacob. Esau means hairy, rough to the touch, like a wild man, red or uh, a red hairy kind of uh, name. This was Esau's name, and it actually marked him to the point where that's the kind of man that Esau became. Esau became the rough and an outdoorsman type of person. Jacob, the name Jacob means supplanter. Now, supplanter is kind of a, an old English word, but if you can imagine the lineup, I don't know if you've ever been in a schoolyard, and when the bell rings, all the kids run to get in line, and there's always that one kid, sometimes it's my own, uh, who, who runs and gets in front of everybody else. They, they, they call it butting, butting in line. And, and sometimes the, the justice seeker of the group will, you know, let out a war cry. You butt in line, teacher, they butt in front of me, I was here first. Right? There's that, there's that old schoolyard thing of, of, of butting in line because apparently going through the door first in the building makes you the ruler or in charge or extra special. There's something about being first in line that I think all kids deal with this. They have to, they have to be first in line. 
And, and sometimes that never leaves a person, and they end up cutting people off in traffic. <laughs> As they grow older, they have this obsession with being first. I, I personally love it. I, this is an aside. This is totally not in my notes. But it gives me so much joy when someone in traffic cuts me off and speeds up ahead, and we end up parked right next to each other at the stoplight. And sometimes, most of the time I don't, but I just look over and smile, hi, morning. <laughs> I'm just like, ah, you rushed to get here. Oh, you're first. You, you made it to the red light first. Good job. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I probably shouldn't encourage that kind of behavior that road rage will get you in trouble, so you got to be careful. But, but that's what supplanter means, to get in front. To, and, and, and it was if... It was like when, when the children were being delivered, it was like Jacob was trying to grab hold of Esau's heel and pull him back in so he could get out first. And so they called him Jacob. They called him Jacob. Now, I need two men to help me this morning. If, if you'd be willing, I, I promise not to embarrass you too much. It, I, it won't be too, too embarrassing. Could I have... Two guys who are willing to just stand up here and help me out this morning. And I don't want to force anybody, but I, I do need two that will stand up here. You'll just hold a few props. That's it. I promise I won't make you do cartwheels. I got one that's going once. Do I have another? Come on. You got to roughly be about the same age. So one more. Just You won't have to stand up here very long. But it's just an illustration, please. No, okay, thanks, Garfield. All right, Adam, take over on the computer. You're lucky I didn't call your name. Your dad can get you in trouble for that later. Okay. <laughs> but here we have two brothers, okay? And although they were twins, they were, they were different, very different from one another. Very different. Now, now the, the, the way it works in, in Hebrew Jewish families at the time of Jacob and Esau was the firstborn, even though they were twins, born on the same day within a few minutes of one another, whoever was the first one actually born received the mark of the firstborn, uh, the, the sacred mark and that sacred special placement of, of being the firstborn child. And you can imagine the difficulty for the younger child for them, right? Because it's not like, you know, Jacob and Zachary are two years apart. There's, there's a clear timeline difference. Jacob is, is advancing physically and mentally faster than his brother because, well, he was born two years before. There's a clear line of age gap. But with twins, it, they're, they're developing at the same time. They're the same height. They, they may even look identical. Now, in this case, they weren't. They were not identical twins. Esau was red over all over like a hairy garment, and, and Jacob was not. He was smooth. He was kind of the homeboy. And when, later on, we see Esau's out the one hunting. Jacob's the one, uh, Jacob's at the one at home making soup, okay? So, so Jacob was the home ec guy, and, and Esau was the hunter, right? So uh, I said I wouldn't embarrass you too much, but it, it'd just be a little bit, right? So so since you're going to be the outdoorsman, we got to, your cowboy hat's backwards. But yeah, the, the, you got the idea, right? Like Esau was the outdoorsman, and Jacob was the one at home. He was the one. Now, I, I know in reality this is probably switched. This is, but we're going to just play with this today, all right? Now, the nice thing about being the firstborn was they became, eventually would take over as the family leader. So not only was he an outdoorsman, but he also got to wear the authority hat uh, in, the, in the family. He, was the, he would be the new leader of the family. In this society, it was patriarchal. So it followed the oldest member of the family was the one who made the decisions for the whole family. He had all the authority. He had all the power. Now, when dad finally died or doled out his inheritance, he would divide his inheritance in four parts. And so, uh, even though he had two sons, he would divide his inheritance into four. And you would think, naturally, two would go here and, and two would go here. But in, in reality, the eldest would get a double portion. He would get a, an extra little blessing just for being the firstborn. And that's why he would divide it up by fours to give the 
the eldest just a little edge because ultimately with more responsibility came a little bit more resources. He was often the first in the field. He was also the last one to leave. He was, you know, there was just the thing about the firstborn that got a little bit more of everything. So he got more of the possessions of the family. And then, and then on top of that, the, the eldest was expected to carry the role of the priest of the family. In these days, they didn't have churches or synagogues in the days of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. I mean, if you all throughout the rest of the Bible, you see Jews often referring to themselves as the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? So these guys were the first. They were, there was no church set up system to establish themselves. So not only were they, they, they were the, the, the economic leader of the family, not only the political leader of the family, they were also the spiritual leader. They got the gold Bible, okay? He is extra special. And you keep saying, well, what's coming to Jacob? <laughs> what, what, not, not a whole lot. I mean, so you can imagine twin brothers and, right? Like the eldest, if it was years older, it would make sense. But it's, it's, they're, they're the same age. And Jacob was born grabbing at the heel of Esau. So with all of this in the background, you think, yeah, I can see why the parents would call him a supplanter. On top of all of that, if that wasn't enough, to give the firstborn, there was also this thing called the promise of God that God gave to Abraham. Now, God made Abraham a promise. He said, I will make you a great nation, and your descendants will be like the sun, the stars in the heavens, and like the sand on the seashore. So I'm going to give you this, this promise, and this promise, I'm just depicting it by this, this promises of God, beautiful little certificate that, that the eldest God, this was his birthright. This is what the Bible calls a birthright. He had this by right of being born. Not because he was qualified. Not because he was, he was honorable. Not because he had a good reputation with money or with power or with spiritual things or the promises of God. But, but what he did have was that he was born first. So now on top of that, Esau is given the name hairy, rough, red, kind of this rough and tumble individual, right? So it's this special indication. Jacob is given a name that's supplanter, line butter, that from the beginning, Jacob had his eye on the prize, and the prize wasn't a relationship with dad. The prize was the family leader, the promises of God, the inheritance, and the spiritual leadership of the family. And it's reasonable even to say that at some point in Jacob's life, the kids at, at school or on the street would probably tease him for his name. Oh, you're just living up to your name. Oh yeah, of course you would cheat on the game, Jacob. Your, your name after all is line butter. After all, your name is and, and, and it seemed as though we don't have this. This is not documented in Scripture, so I'm, I'm surmising here, okay? I know that, you know, uh, exegetically speaking, that's a dangerous thing to do. But just from what I can gather, by later on events in the story, that Jacob wasn't a big fan of his name. He wasn't a big fan of the, of the label that was placed on him, the identity that he had received. Esau was given all of this, and Jacob was left with nothing. The only thing Jacob had to his name was that he reached out to grab hold of what he felt was his, and he missed it by mere minutes. Perhaps the kids would go out to play, and they would maybe think twice about picking Jacob for their teammate because his name was different. His name meant that maybe he would win by whatever means necessary. He would, he would cheat or, or steal or, or connive his way into position. And, and the reason why we know this is because Jacob's character later demonstrated his willingness to take advantage of an opportunity that came his way. It didn't take very long. Now, this is an offering plate, but let's just pretend it was a bowl. There was a point... In the story, when, when, when Jacob is at home cooking his soup over the fire, and Esau, being the outdoorsman that he was, was out in the field hunting 
for some meat. And the Bible says in Genesis 25, verse 30, that Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was changed from Esau to Edom. Esau changed his name by the way he lived. And Jacob said to him, okay, you're hungry. You've been out all day slaving away, trying to get some food, and you've come up with nothing. So sell me your birthright, and we'll call it square. If you sell me your birthright, I'll give you this pot of soup. Now, it doesn't take a genius to look at the story and go, come on, buddy. Are you for real? He said, sell me your birthright now, and I'll give you the soup. And Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Esau wasn't about to die. He just spent a day out in the woods, and it was a little hangry. He was just a little hangry. You know that feeling. You get kind of grumpy. And then after, after you eat, you're back, back to being sweet, sweet as pie and, you know, nice as ever. And, and all the things that you were annoyed at before don't seem like a big deal because your, your belly's full and you're no longer hangry, right? Yeah, so Esau wasn't, wasn't about to die. He was just hangry. And Jacob, the Bible says, he was making red stew. Red stew. Do you know what red stew is? Lentil soup. Lentils. The cheapest protein on the, on the block. It wasn't meat. It wasn't like some kind of big ordeal. It was just red lentil soup. Very simple, very basic. Now, make you feel good when you're full, right? But at the end of the day, soup is soup. And I know some of you treat soup a little bit more religiously than that, and you're like, no, soup is not soup, right? You know, it's a meal. And and I know for some of you that come from the islands, when you, when you ordered soup for the first time at a, at a Canadian restaurant and they brought you broth, you asked, where's the pumpkin? Where's the squash? Where's the dumpling dem? Right? You know, where's the rice? Where's the, yeah. A, a what is? A pot what do you give me? A what is? Right? So I know soup is not soup. And all soup is not created equal. But at the end of the day, when soup is done... Soup is done. When the pot's finished, the pot's finished, right? And here Esau is asking Jacob, will you exchange me your soup and I'll give you the birthright. And Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is it? So Jacob said, swear it now. And he sold him his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau the bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Let's just see what he gave up. He gave up the right to be the family leader with the birthright. He exchanged it. He gave up the, the right to the inheritance. So Esau is now, well here, you take one. We're exchanging places. I'll take the soup. I'll take, and, and, and not only that, he gave up the right for the promises of God and the right to spiritual leadership of the home, the whole family, not just Jacob's children, but Esau's children, because he was now the leader of the whole family, not just his, his, his own little corner of the family. This is what Esau took. But after Esau was done with the soup, he doesn't have anything left but just one little portion of that inheritance. This is what he gave up for his pot of soup. The next time we see Jacob, he disguises himself, the Bible says. And he disguises himself with the help of his mother. The only thing Esau had left was something called the blessing of the father on the children. When the father would die, he would pray a special prayer of blessing and would only pray it over the eldest child. So Jacob said, well, I've gotten all this. Let me see if I can get the rest. I might as well go for broke. 
And the Bible says he disguised himself with the hair of an animal, goat's hair. His father was blind and disguised his voice and went in while his brother was away hunting, prepared his father's favorite meal and pretended to be Esau. And Isaac blessed Jacob instead of Esau. Now, you look at that and say, well, Jacob, this, he's living up to his name. I mean, the first one, Jacob was just being shrewd. It was Esau that was the fool that gave up everything for a pot of soup. But here Jacob's actually deceiving his father, deceiving his brother. But may I submit to you this morning that if you're not willing to hold on to the things that God has rightfully put in your hands, then you have no right to claim the blessing that might be prayed over you by those in authority over you. You have no right to expect the blessings of God if you're willing to exchange the eternal for something temporary. See, Esau was willing to exchange something that lasted generations for something that lasted him just a few hours. He was willing to, to give up the thing that, that would have lent to his success as an adult, that would have lent to the success of his whole family, that would have lent to the success and the heritage of his children, and not just his children, but as we see the promise of God to Abraham was fulfilled in the Messiah being born to a woman by the name of Mary who is a direct descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Esau was cut out of the line that led to the birth of the Messiah. See, Esau traded all of that in for a pot of soup. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you to give them a hand. They did such a good job being my helpers this morning. Thank you. But see, this is, this is, that's a message in and of itself. Giving up the eternal for something that's temporary. But what I wanted to zero in for you this morning was not so much the fault of Esau, but the determination of Jacob. Because Jacob held on to that identity of line butter. He demonstrated that in his life over and over again. He got in front of Esau with the birthright. Then he got in front of Esau with the blessing. And as a result of that, he continued his life when he moved to Haran to be with his uncle Laban. Jacob later was tricked by his own uncle. And ended up tricking his uncle in return and just continued to live this life of, of deceiving and getting one up on and, and tricking and conniving his way. And we get the sense from a later interaction that Jacob had that he didn't really like himself for who he had become. He tricked his brother. He lied to his father. He later ran away from his uncle's house under the cover of darkness, taking his whole family with him. He lived up to the label that was placed on him at birth. He lived up to the idea that he was a supplanter. He was a line butter. He accepted the identity that someone had put upon him. He was just a baby after all. Who knows what his real motives as an infant were. Was it really the, the desire to get ahead of his brother that caused Jacob to grab onto the heel of the brother? Or was it just reflexes in the womb? We don't know. But for whatever reason, the label that was placed on Jacob at birth, that his name literally meant one who supplants, deceives, and gets in front of others, Jacob lived up to that mark for the rest of his life. The problem with living under a label or a mark that somebody else puts on you is that it eventually catches up with you. Eventually, that mark becomes manifested in your identity, how you see yourself, and you actually end up acting out this prophecy placed over you. It calls a self-fulfilling prophecy. After Jacob deceived his brother, his father, and stole the blessing, he moved to Haran to living with Laban, his uncle. After spending 20 plus years in Haran, Jacob returns home and realizes he's going to have to come face to face with the man that he deceived and tricked 20 years earlier. And so the Bible even says that Esau got word that Jacob was returning back into the land. And the Bible says that Esau mounted 400 horsemen to meet Jacob 
on his way back into the land. Now, you don't mount 400 horsemen to go say hi to your long-lost brother. You mount 400 horsemen to go into battle and defend your land. And no, like, no, no doubt Esau likely was thinking, great, Jacob's back. What else is he going to try to steal from me? I'm not going to let that work. We're going to deal with this my way. We're going to meet him on the field with the horses. Genesis 32 verse 22 says, The same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants, his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of, the, of Jabbok, and he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was there left alone. He took everybody to safety across the river. They forded it overnight, and Jacob left his family in a place of safety then went back to the place in which he would run into Esau. And the Bible says he was left alone. This is where we often confront our labels, when we are alone. When, and many of us don't like to be alone. We don't like to be in the solitude of our own voice, so we'll turn on the radio. We'll turn, if you even know what a radio is anymore, you'll turn on your, your device. You'll turn on music. You'll turn on the television. Something to drown out the noise of being alone. The noise of your own thoughts. The noise of the labels. The noise of the memories. The noise of the thoughts. The noise of the, the things that you wrestle with. And the Bible says, and he wrestled with a man until the breaking of the day. While Jacob was alone, Somebody approached him and began to wrestle with him in the middle of the night. Verse 25 says, when the man saw he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Somewhere in the wrestling match, Jacob sensed, this was no mere person. This was no mere man that I am wrestling with. But this is indeed the angel of the Lord. This has got to be God that I'm wrestling with. Because there's something about when you wrestle with God alone, you get the sense that this is not just a normal wrestling match. But while Jacob was alone, he begins to wrestle with the angel. And the angel said to him, what is your name? Interesting question. Why would the angel ask Jacob for his name? Shouldn't the angel know who he's wrestling with? Shouldn't, I mean, if God is all-knowing, why on earth would God ask Jacob, tell me what your name is? But if you understand Scripture and God at all, you'll understand that whenever God asks a question, he doesn't ask it for his own benefit. He asks it for the benefit of those reading and those experiencing. He asked Jacob to identify himself not because he didn't know who Jacob was, but he wanted to know if Jacob knew who Jacob was. He wanted to know if Jacob was aware of his own identity and who he had become. And what he had accepted about himself. Despite what people said, what did Jacob believe about himself? What did Jacob think his name was? And so Jacob said to him, my name is Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, here's a few things to point out. Jacob is returning to now what is going to be the nation or the land that God has promised to Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob is the recipient of this promise. So Jacob is coming back into the place in which God's promises to him and his family would be fulfilled. But before God can fulfill the promise that he has made to him and his family, before he can use Jacob and bring him into the place where he is going to be an instrument of God's will and God's plan and God's timing, God had to work on something on the inside of Jacob, the identity that he held about himself. Here he's wrestling for a long time with God. Here God had special plans for Jacob, but this label that Jacob has been wearing for all these years was something that was going to stand in the way 
of what God had promised for him to fulfill. See, I, I see myself in this so much as well. And, and I see humanity in this as well. Before God is able to use us to the potential and the fulfillment that he has planned, the Bible says that he knows the thoughts he has for us, thoughts of good, thoughts to do things with our life. He has a plan for our life. I believe God has a plan for every single person that's sitting under the sound of my voice and in the city of Ajax. God has a, a, an ordained plan for your life, but sometimes the thing that stands in the way of you and God's best for you and God's plan for you is the labels that have been placed there either by you or somebody else in your life. God made Jacob conscious in this moment of his own weakness. And it's often at the end of a wrestling match with God that we come into face to face. It's a, a circumstance in life that like this wrestling match with the angel puts our hip out of joint puts our hip out of socket, and, and we come into face-to-face. -face. You ever have that moment where you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I'm not as put together as I thought I was. I, 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 I really do have a lot of work to do. Uh, there is a lot of areas in my life I thought were worked out and solid and, and rock hard, but they're as weak and, uh, and as tumultuous as a puddle of mud. There is nothing firm about my life. I thought I had it all figured out, but I'm realizing at the end of this wrestling match with life and with God that I'm like someone with my hip out of joint. So many of us fight the labels that were placed on us daily. Whether you are aware of them or not, they play into how you see yourself and how you perceive what someone says to you. We resist the move of the Spirit of God at times. And whenever God gets close enough to our labels, this is something that hardens up inside of us. No, no, I, I want to leave that door closed. No, thank you, Lord. I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to open that yet. No, I, I, I don't want to deal with what's behind that door. That is a closed door in my life, God. No, I don't want, because we've grown accustomed to the label. We've grown accustomed to the identity. We've grown accustomed to the to the to the what was said over us. We it, it's almost comforting, even though someone might have looked at us at a young age and said, "This is who you are." We may not like that, but there is some kind of comfort in knowing, well, maybe that is just who I am, and I can I can just you know, well, that's that's who I am. I am this. I am that. Well, that's just that's my nature. That's what I'm like. But what Jacob had to do is that the blessings of God, the birthright he received, would not be fulfilled until Jacob came face to face with his given identity. And Jacob reaches out to God and says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I've received the blessing of my dad. I've received the birthright by, by some kind of deal I swindled with my brother, but God... If you don't bless me, if you don't put your hand on me, then all of this is going to mean a whole lot of nothing. God, if you don't validate the things in my life that you're wanting to do, if you don't put your hand on me, God, and do something inside of me, then there really is nothing that I have to hold on to. And I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. And God's way of blessing Jacob was to cause him to come face to face with who he was as a man. And then what I love what God does is God changed his label. God said to Jacob, what is your mark? What is your Shem? The word Shem in Hebrew means mark or identity. Jacob, what is your mark? What is the mark that was placed on you? You had no choice. You, that mark was put on you by somebody else. You didn't, have a, you didn't have a say in the matter. You didn't get to say, no, I'm not really a fan of how that name sounds. I'd rather have this other name. None of us 
here today picked our own names. None of us here today probably even picked on the identities or the labels that we've accepted about ourselves. But at some point in our life, that label was placed there. It's impossible really to know all the labels that have come into this room here this morning. Some of us might be wearing a secret label of liar or, or failure, which by the way, uh, those labels aren't always true. You may even look at yourself and say, well, yeah, but I, I am a failure. No, no, you failed, but that doesn't make you a failure. And you may have failed big, but actually failure and failing is a good thing because without failing, you don't learn. Without failing, you never grow. You never learn what doesn't work if you don't fail. So failing is actually something of a positive nature, even if it causes some, some hurt or harm along the way. Failure can actually be something that propels you if you allow it. But if we allow that label of failure to, 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 be, to be planted or placed in our heart and on our life, then, then it affects the way we see ourselves going forward. Someone may have mentioned to you that you don't look very nice. You're ugly. And so that label, no matter how many times you've tried to cover it up, no matter how many times you've tried to beautify it and make it go away, you can't seem to remove that label of ugly. No matter how many times someone else told you you're beautiful, you're lovely, you look nice, but that one person that meant something to you said those words and that had an extra layer of glue to it that caused it to stick to your life. Bruised, you're not fit for use, you're untalented, nothing very special about you. You'll never amount to anything, someone might have ever said. Someone might even look at you and said, well, you're just nothing but a... A, a, a dirty, rotten sinner. You may have said that about yourself or maybe have heard the whisper of the enemy whisper in your ear. There's no point in repenting because you're such a terrible sinner. There's no way God's ever going to forgive you. You're broken, unable to be fixed. You'll never change. Oh yeah, well, you know, that, that, that's par for the course for you. Nothing ever changes. Heartbroken, defeated, unaccepted, maybe even diagnosed with the label, ADD, ADHD, whatever the label was that was put in, we, we accept those things. Oh, I have a learning disability. I'm handicapped. Oh, here's another one that's flying around today lots. I'm depressed. And while that depression is a real thing, it doesn't have to be your label. While depression is something you might struggle with, it doesn't have to be your identity. While anxiety may be something that you deal with, it doesn't have to be your label and what you are known by or what you are called by. You may come from a dysfunctional family. And so the idea there that comes in your head, well, I, you know, if I create dysfunction in my own family of creation, that's just par for the course because that's how I was raised. Loner. Lonely. Well, and I'm not trying to trigger anybody here this morning. I'm not trying to put down the labels that have been put on you or that you have accepted about yourself. But I'm trying to get you to see that before you can ever move into the promises that God has for you, you've got to confront the labels and bring them to the foot of the cross. Uh, you've got to come and lay them down before the Lord because Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul was talking to a group of Jews who were kept going back to the Jewish law and kept going back to their Jewish label and saying, but we're Jews. And Paul said, no, no more are you Jews because there's no Jews nor Greeks when you come into the church. When you come in, you're bought with the blood of Jesus. He fulfilled the law for you. So don't go back to the yoke of slavery. Don't put the label on that was taken off you in the waters of baptism. To go further with that, Galatians 3.27 says, For many of you who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's a new thing placed over you. And you may never be able to rip the label off your life. You may struggle for the rest of your days with anxiety and depression and disorders. Uh, but know that when you get baptized in Jesus' name, there is a stronger, more potent label that's placed over that one. And that's the name and the blood of Jesus. Uh, where chapter verse 28 of Galatians 
Galatians 3 says there is neither Jew nor Greek. You were born into something, but it is no longer your identity. It is no. That's why the Bible says you've got to be born again. Because it's not powerful enough just to say we're going to come in here and rip something off. No, there's got to be a complete new birth. It's not just a, a change of, of practice, but you actually become a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old things are passed away and all things are become new so God puts a new label on you and that new label is chosen that new label is called and the what the Bible likes to throw around this word called elect God elects you in other words he chooses you to the point where no one can move you out of that place and even if people don't like the president that's in office today he's elected there until there's a new election He's there until the new election comes. And by the way, when you get elected by God, there's no new election. Once you're elected by God, he keeps you there. He holds you there. He, he, he reaches for you. You may walk away from that election. You may despise it and reject it like Esau. But God is always going to be reaching for you. He's always going to be pursuing you because there's something about the, his blood that has come over your life that you belong to him. The Bible says he's purchased you. He's adopted you. There is something very powerful about love. But there's something even more special about adopted love. Because adopted love looks at the child that is born and says, You didn't choose who your parents were, but I choose you. I choose to be your parent. I choose to be responsible for you. And even knowing that you may reject me and there might be issues with, with trying to figure out your loyalties between your birth parents and your adopted parents, I still choose you. There's something about that and the Bible says that we are adopted into the family of God. He, he adopts us. He grafts us in. If you've ever seen a tree that's been grafted in, it takes an established rootstock and they, they put the new branch onto the old tree and the new branch blooms and blossoms in so much faster time because it's grafted into something that's already established and sure and solid. All of these word pictures the Bible uses to describe our relationship with God. Every one of them is supposed to convey the message. Your old life is passed away and your new life has begun. Your old labels that were on you yesterday do not have the same power over you today. And if you are Christ and you are Abraham's seed according to the promise, then you have this new thing on your life. You have this new name, this new attitude, and you become complete through your union with Christ. Colossians 2 verse 10 says you are complete with him. You're made whole. All the empty places are filled in. All the empty spots are redeemed. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. The sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkard, nor revilers, nor swindles will inherit the kingdom of God. He makes a strong line in the sand. He says, this is, this, this is a mark of demarcation. These, these people who involve themselves in this kind of practice without repenting will not be able to go into God's kingdom. And I love verse 11. It's, it's what makes this whole verse, this whole passage so beautiful to me. And such were some of you. Paul looks at a church of people in Corinth and he says, there's nobody perfect in this building. Such were some of you. But you are washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says, when you received the baptism uh, in Jesus' name, there was a washing. When you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ came inside of you. And it's what's changed the label. It's what's changed the label and the mark for you. And that's all wonderful. But you know, we all come in here with marks. Oh, we all came in here looking right. We had on the right clothes. We had on the right the shoes. We had on things that looked like they were normal. But this, if we could peel the layers back a little bit, this is kind of what we all look like on the inside. We have everything on the outsides put together, but inside there's marks 
There's scars. There's labels. There's things we don't want anybody to know. And all morning long, you, you, you walk around with the smile and wear the right clothes. But on the inside, if we could see what's really there, we would see the marks, the scars, the labels, the hurts that every single one of us walk into church with. And we wrestle with these things like Jacob on the bank of the river to cross over into our promise to cross over into the plan that God has for our life. But before we cross over into that life, we've got to address the things that are on the inside. We've got to address the labels. You've got, you got to bring those things to the foot of the cross and lay these scars down. You don't have to be as transparent as I am and show everybody, look at this scar, look at this tear, look at this rip over here. No, no, this is not something you have to share with everybody, but this is something that you do have to bring before the Lord. And if you're ever going to cross the river like Jacob into the promised land of where God wants to take you, then you're going to have to bring these things to the foot of the cross. You might have to get baptized in Jesus' name to have these sins and stains washed away. But even those who've been baptized in Jesus' name still wear the old shirt and still wear the old labels and still wear the old identities. No, see, we've got to, like 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Sister Bryson, if you'd come, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Your job now as a believer, one who's been baptized and filled with the Spirit, is to now capture the thoughts that lead you back to these old wounds and these old labels and these old scars. Now the role of a Christian is to let the Word identify you. Now I've got to take that Bible that became my cornerstone and my anchor, and I've got to let it become the thing that defines me. I'm no longer defined by what the world says about me. I'm no longer defined by what, by what my parents said about me or by what my friends said about me or even by what I said about myself, but I'm now defined by what the Word says, and the Word says I'm chosen. The Word says I'm a royal priesthood. The Word says that, I, that I'm, I'm a child of God. The Word says that I'm loved, and that I'm, I'm sought after, and that he seeks for me, and he longs for me, and that I should long for him like a deer longs for water in a dry and thirsty land, so my soul should long and hunger and thirst after him. My warfare is not going to be with people, but it's going to be with my thought. The Bible says I've got to capture every thought. I've got to take captive every identity, every label, and I've got to bring it to the foot of the cross. When someone looked at me as a young person and said, oh, you're, you're just a late bloomer. You're a little slow. I had to bring that to the cross. I had to bring that to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't have to live by that label. I don't have to live by that identity. I don't have to live by, by that, that mark that somebody put on me unintentionally. trying to, to. They weren't trying to hurt me. They weren't trying to abuse me. The mark was left there. Maybe, maybe some of you have been marked by someone who was trying to hurt you. You can bring those identities to Jesus. You can wrestle those down in the presence of God. And like Jacob, God can give you a brand new name. When you go down in the waters of baptism, you call the name of Jesus over your life. You're given a new name. You're given a new identity so you can live and walk differently. So that not in order to cover it up, but in order... To heal it. Because when I put on Christ, I put on a new identity. I, I, I may walk with, with the rem, rem, remembrance and the memory of those things, but they no longer define me. They no longer mark me. I can now walk covered by the blood of Jesus, covered by the name of Jesus. Yes, these are still real things. And if you look close, you may still find remnants of those things. But they no longer define me. I no longer give them power. I capture them and bring them into subjection to my relationship with God. I let the word of God define my life. Can we stand this morning? Maybe you need some time to spend in prayer. Find a place of prayer at this altar. 
and lay down those labels, those thoughts, those identities, those, those messages that were, were laid on your life. And now, here you are. What are you going to do with those labels? What are you going to do with those thoughts? What are you going to do with those identities? I urge you to bring them to Jesus. Lay them before the throne of God. Lay them down before Jesus in prayer. Talk to him about them. Let him change your name. Let him change your identity. Let him change what, what he thinks about you. Hallelujah. Would you do that? Just close your eyes. Come to the front. Pray. Would you learn? Lean and trust on the Lord right now for those things in your life. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Through it all. Hallelujah. Would you come and pray? Would you seek the face of God? He wants to deal with those things in our life. He wants to deal with those labels, those messages we've said about ourselves, what we've allowed others to say about us. We don't have to be controlled by those things. We can trust in Him. We can lean on Him. We can let Him define us. We can let Him set the standard for our life. Would you pray and talk to the Lord this morning? Through it all, oh, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Yes, I'm singing through it all, through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. So through it all, all through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. If it's appropriate and you feel comfortable with it, would you pray with the person next to you just for a few moments before we leave here this morning? There's something special about praying with one another. We can support one another in the Spirit through prayer. We can bless one another, pray for each other's needs. We can pray the blessing of God to be upon the person that we're seated next to. And if it's appropriate, would you just pray for a few moments together and let the Lord minister to each other. Let the Lord minister to you. God, I pray for every person here this morning that is under the sound of my voice, Lord, that they would feel the touch of your spirit. Maybe they're wrestling with an identity that they had and held for years and years. Lord, maybe they're struggling with a, a mark on their life or a, a, a thought or some, something in their life, Lord Jesus, that has left them scarred or bruised or hurt or, or defeated. Lord, I pray that you would heal those mindsets, that you'd help them to walk in the truth of your word, that they would take the light of your word and, and, and Lord, let it shine on their heart, that they are loved, they are called, they are chosen, they are elected, Lord Jesus, into your kingdom, that you have worked on them, you have uh, uh, called them and chosen them this morning. They are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Jesus, would you place your hand upon them today? Remove the labels that have been damaging and hurtful, the, 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 the lies of the enemy, the lies of people that have hurt and, and abused and mistreated God. In the name of Jesus, would you loose and heal today? Would you restore and, and, and bring back to wholeness, God? That's what you intended for us, is to be whole, to be complete in you, Father. In the name of Jesus, begin the healing process today. Begin the healing process. We all come in here with secret scars and secret wounds. Lord, would you heal those wounds and those scars this morning? 
in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. We praise you. We love you, Jesus. Through it all. Oh, through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all. Oh, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise, Lord. We give you thanks today. Would you just lift your hands and worship the Lord for a moment? We praise you, God. We thank you. We love you. You're worthy, Jesus. We surrender to you. We surrender to your will and your purpose for our life, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, we lift our hands to worship you and to praise you and to surrender to you, God. You are mighty and powerful, Lord Jesus. We submit our lives to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, before you leave here this morning, we 